Welcome to episode number 214, Inside Out. This is the Rotated Views Podcast with Jimmy Lee and the crew, giving you life from various perspectives. Welcome to our level. We hope you enjoy the views. Brought to you by the Blessed Lifestyle brand. Visit bl3ssed.com to get blessed. Also sponsored by The Motivation Files Unleashed. This motivational mixtape will be your fuel for success. Available on all platforms. Alright, you are now tuned into the Rotated Views Podcast. I am your host, Jimmy Lee Velez. I am here with Goose, Gabe, and Harry. Inside Out. In this episode, we have special guest Harry Kamisa. We cover topics that range from law enforcement, the prison system, death row, prison riots, and much more. We wrap the episode up with quotes from Michelle Ruiz and Socrates. Guys, if you're new, thank you for joining us. Don't forget to download and subscribe. We drop a new episode every Tuesday morning for your listening pleasure. Kicking things off, Harry, thank you for joining us. You're welcome, I'm sure. Absolutely. All right. So we're just going to jump right into it. So for those of us who do not know who you are and what you do or what you did, let us know. All right. My name is Harry Camisa, and I worked in the New Jersey State Prison for 50 years. I was a prison officer for 30 years and a teacher for 20. I realized I was going to retire young. So at the age of 40, I started college. I went 10 years nights and got a degree in teaching. It made my wife very happy till she found out I was going to go teach in a prison. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) So that's how I spent 50 years there. In my 50 years, I have witnessed 13 executions. I have been held hostage twice. Wow. I was held hostage in 1975 and in 1985. In 1975, I was the only witness in the Muslim riot. And I used to have 24-hour watch around my house, taking my kids back and forth to school, the younger one. And he had a scholarship to Princeton Day School. And here he is with an armed guard outside his room. I said, "Uh oh, there goes the scholarship. (laughs) (laughs) But luckily, it didn't happen. In the Muslim riot, what happened was... Shabazz had, uh, his real name was Lou Alcindor, but he picked a Muslim name and he had a Muslim sect. But the third world was a bunch of young Muslims. And what they did was they killed his Lieutenant Shabazz. Hmm. And when they killed him, they caught the five of them and they sent him to the Trenton prison. We said, look, let me tell you something. We're going to segregate these kids because we don't know if the hit came from Chicago. They said, no, no, we don't want our children segregated. Okay, you don't want to segregate it. At the time, I was a prison officer in the school system, and I'm up on the second floor. Well, what happened was they were in black studies program at the end of the hall. And in the school, it's a hallway with classes on each side okay. of the room. And the officer, I sat in the middle with the desk and my chair. Well, what happened was I heard shuffling of feet. Nobody runs in the prison. Yeah. When you hear shuffling of feet, something's jumping off. Wow. Hmm. So I turned and looked, and he said, 
They had a wood chisel, put it to my throat. Hmm. Said, don't move, Harris. I say, hey, life is sweet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I was scared, but I froze. But there was one of the Muslims who liked me. His name was King. And he said, hey, don't hurt Harry. So luckily, that's how I survived that. But, but what they did was, when they went after the five kids, they had the wood chisels. And one of them, they were stabbing him as he was running by me, and it takes a piece out. And the faster you run, the more the blood squirts out. Mm. So they were running, and the blood's coming out. So after that, there were three other officers. I don't know if they went blind or what down there, but they didn't see anything. <laughs> wow. So I'm the wow. chump, and here I am now where they're guarding my house and all. Wow. The second time I was held hostage was in 1985. A prisoner came in. He was a fairly new prisoner. And they said, okay, we're assigning you to the tailor shop. I was a teacher then. Yeah. First time I was an officer, second time. They said, we're going to sign you to... He said, I want to go to the tailor shop. What the hell do I know about the tailor shop? He said, hey, don't tell us that. We tell you where you work. Mm. So he got mad. He went back to his cell, and he went in the mess hall. He got a ladle. He broke the round part off, filed the handle, and came into the school and put it in my ribs and said, get into the, into the office with mm. the guy that assigned it to the tailor shop, who was the principal of the school, was this principal. So the funniest thing that happened was that day, my daughter, who's a speech pathologist in Bordentown, Daddy, I don't want to go to work. I want to raise my children. I said, you know what, Camp? That's all well and good. But guess what? Your resume will say you wash dirty diapers. I could get into prison one day a week. I lined up three prisoners with speech problems. One stuttered. One had a tongue thrust. Hmm. And the third one, he had a couple bullets in his head per Rambo. And wow. in my book, there's a, a chapter on him. So he needed help. So I said, look, Kim, to my daughter, that's her name. I said, I'm taking you out for lunch because this place is funky. Yeah. The mess hall is terrible, built in 1835. You know, the joint's not that nice. So I said, okay, I'll, I've got a class downstairs. You'll be on the second floor. They know I was a prison guard for 30 years, Kim. They're not going to bother you. Okay, Dad, school out. At that time, we had 1,900 prisoners in the school. Hmm. Wow. About 80 came to go to school. School out, here they come, 1 o'clock, they all go. Quarter after 1, everybody at the school, move, move. My daughter was there four hours. What's going on? What's that? Never mind, get going. My daughter gets home, Daddy's being held hostage. Come on. What? So I called her that evening when I got released. I said, look, Kimmy, you're only working one day a week. Next week, she said, Daddy, I quit. <laughs> so my daughter had the shortest career, four hours. I got the longest 50 years. Wow. <laughs> That's awesome. So, so let, let's, let's, let's rewind back a little bit, right? So how did you, what made you want to become uh, a part of, you know, your career, how did it all start? Like, how did you begin? I'm not a plumber. Yeah. I'm not an electrician. Yeah. 
I'm not a carpenter. Yeah. I had no talent. Yeah. So you become a prison officer. Right? <laughs> right, right, you don't right. have to be a brain. Right, you know? right, right, right. So that's how I became a prison. And that's why later in life I went to school and went to college. Yeah. Because I realized, you know, my shortcoming. So imagine, so this guy, this gentleman right in hell is in front of us talking. He's 92 years old, born in 1928, correct? Wow. October 14th, I'll be 92. It's a week away. Yeah. You know what I mean? Let's just throw it in there. So happy birthday, you know? Um, so explain to us probably outside of the, you know, the riots, was that kind of the scariest thing or was it kind of every day your head's on a swivel? Every day you go into work, it's kind of, am I going to get home? Well... I never had felt like that. Yeah. Let me tell you, if you have fear, leave. Yeah. Because you'll get an ulcer. Yeah. Mm. You got to go with it. And I had accumulated a bunch of inmates that almost looked out for me. Yeah. And and the one article got here on Teddy Roberts. Yeah. He looked out for me. Nice. Wow. Because what happened was, I had one left lockup. In 1960 to 65, I had the wing for five years. One left lockup is segregated from the rest of the jail. It holds 60 men, and it has its own little yard. They are locked up 22 hours a day, and you feed them th through the bars, a little ledge. You mm. feed them through it. And I was there, and what happened was I'm putting a guy on 10 days bread and water. If he said F you Harry or ever hit a guard, 10 days bread and water. Hmm. Four slices of bread, 14 ounce of water, cup of water, three times a day with just a hole in the floor. Wow. And that's where could he can't rip out no toilet bowl, nothing. And he's in there for 10 days. Um, so, so going from there to your entire experience, what do you think has been the most memorable? So, you know, you said you kind of build on some level, you're building relationships with these guys, you know, in a positive way. Look, I have, I, this is where I work. This is where you need to stay. We might as well make the best of it. So to speak. Right. I you, mean, you covered it as yes. well put. Yeah. So, so what was one of, I guess your most memorable kind of moments there? First execution I saw. Wow. First execution I saw was 1954. His name was Theodore Walker. He killed a woman in Trenton on Montgomery Street. Her name was Molly Schlesinger. And he killed her with a machete. Oh my gosh. Wow. It was a hot day in July. Now I had, everybody thinks you pull a lever. No. When you electrocution, they spin a wheel. Mm -hmm. I got to think, I got a picture here where they spin the wheel. So I said, no, nah, this, this, I got to really be cool for this. So we walk in. Now, the death house is only a small room. It may be 20 by 30. They have the electric chair, like where the barber chair is. Yeah. And they put up a sheet, waist high. And all the officers and witnesses, the officers stand in the back in a line with the nightstick in case he makes a break for it. Yeah. Now, they, and... They put up the sheet, and the witnesses and all, they're sitting in their seats. And I, being I had never seen the execution, but the jail gets very quiet. And when he walked in, they had his pant legs slid up, his head shaved, and they put a wet sponge. And then they spin the wheel. 
Well, it had been a hard, hot day in July, so he was stripped to the waist. He came in, and he had a cross on. Because most of them, a lot of them get religion, some don't. Yeah. Mm. But he had a cross on. And when they spun the wheel, it burned right into his chest. Wow. I said, oh, my God, you know, to see something like that. And another execution I saw was kind of sad. His name is Joe Ernest. Joe Ernest was 17 years old. Wow. Hmm. He did three years in Yardville. He was 20 years old. His girlfriend sent him a dear John. So when he got out at 20, he killed her. Hmm. Wow. Sent him to dear John. Now, two years later... He was 22. I saw him get electrocuted. And there was an inmate that locked next to him that wrote a real good article on him. And the article I have up here. Okay. So he had wrote the article on him. And Joe Ernest walked in and he looked at us and he said, F you, and sat down. Hmm. I said, man, what a cold person. But when you read the article on him, that the prisoner had written about him, Tony Russo, it's a whole different story. But it still was, it was so sad to see this young kid get electrocuted mm. like that. Wow. Yeah, and so I, we, we have a, uh, an uncle of ours that was in, the, uh, in corrections, and you know, you know you just, he has very blanket statements. He, he, he really, at the time, he can't like, give names or anything like that, but just in general, you know, did you see people who you don't think really belonged there, and then you've seen people who were just, as you just mentioned, just cold-hearted people who obviously deserve the time? Let me tell you. When I was a teacher, I'm, I was teaching fifth, sixth grade level. Yeah. I'm teaching guys how to read a rule. And we had the Latino inmates that didn't read or write English hardly. So we, I had fifth, sixth grade I'm teaching. I had Halsey. His name's Halsey. I remember because Admiral Halsey, that's how I always remember his name. But anyway, he did 18 and a half years, and he was innocent. Wow. Oh, my I, gosh. I got an article on him. I don't know how much money they gave him, a couple million, I guess. But anyway, the per- he was slightly... He was slow. Yeah. Because he was with me in fifth, sixth grade, a grown man. So he was slightly slow. And the person that testified against him, they caught him 18 years later, and his DNA matched. He had driven nails into an eight-year-old child's head. Oh, my gosh. And he was accused of that. Hmm. And here the inmate that had actually done it, they caught 18 years later. Wow. And he came into the prison, hmm. and Halsey, they finally had to let him go. So that's why I always had my doubts about the electric chair, because I remember when I was young, I said, hey, one out of a thousand are innocent, get so what? He said, suppose it was you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You change your mind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so explain to us back then when you first started. What, what, what's, what was like the food like? What, what would the uh, the inmates eat? What was a regular lunch, breakfast? Dinner? Well, that's it. The changes in fifty years. We went from bread and water. Yeah. To where they went to college. Yeah. And I was so glad that I made friends with Frank Bizignano who had been in the death house and got out. 
and they used to take classes with me. I'd be in the college in New Jersey, and they may walk, hey, how, how you doing? So my daughter, I was transferring her from Mercer County College in the College of New Jersey. We went to see Dr. Jones, and Dr. Jones says, I'm sorry, Mr. Kamisa, due to the clinical aspect of it, we have our own 80 students. I said, wait a minute, you told me to come here, what she had to study, her acume is 386 or something, come on. I said, I'm awfully sorry. I'm walking off the campus. I, my daughter had tears in her eyes. I said, look Kim, I can't afford an expensive college. I know you want to be a speech pathologist from a little girl, but I got my oldest boy in college. I got the youngest one in Princeton Day School. I said, we can't afford an expensive college. So she had tears in her eyes. And as we were walking off the campus, I ran into Frank Bizignano. Hey, Mr. Camisa, how you doing? I said, all right, Frank. He said, what's the matter with your daughter? So I told him this story. He said, come on with me. I said, Frank, please, with that guinea stuff, come yeah. with you. That's my style. Hey, come with me. I figured, you know, what could this guy do for me? Yeah. We went to see him as Jockman. Now, I took classes with my daughter, because don't forget I started when I was 40. When I went, I was going to education. She was going into speech. I'm going with like 40, 50 kids. She's going alone. I come to find out, who's Frank Bizignano? That he's got that much drag. Here, he's one of the first inmates to get out of the, out of the death house and got his master's degree. Wow. And he was a PR man for corrections, and he knew Miss Jockman. Wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. Unbelievable. You know what? I went on court trips for th three years. And let me tell you something. If you get in trouble, get a good lawyer. Yeah. That's the name of the game. Yeah. I took Jay Bio Joe Bayonne. He was a big mafia guy in Bayonne, New Jersey. We get in there, the judge said, uh, take him in the back room. I said, um, he said, you stay with him, I don't care. We got put a three-piece suit on him. <laughs> That's how it is. It's never fair, eh? And one time I took a little kid, a young little black kid, and I said, what's the matter with you? You're chewing chewing gum? I paid for it. The judge said, would you spit out your chewing gum, young man? He said, I paid for it. He said, I was going to give you one to two. Now you get two to three. Yeah. We're going back to the car. I said, what the heck's the matter with you? He said, I didn't know how to back out. I said, that macho stuff is baloney. Yeah. Trust me. Yeah. And then I take a young guy to court. And we're in the courtroom, and the judge is going to set the day of sentencing. And the, his lawyer said, Your Honor, don't forget about Yom Kippur. The lawyer was Jewish. The judge was Jewish. Marcus Sheely, I remember his name. He starts squirming. I told my partner, we get in the parking lot. I'm not having kicking the screen out all the way back to Trenton from Newark. Yeah. I said, here, you take the gun. I get a, what's your problem, Marcus? Why are you squirming like that? He said, you know me, Mr. Kamisa. I, I never 
I did a lot of robbing and stealing, but I never robbed with John Kipper. Who the hell's John Kipper? It took us 10 minutes to tell him it was a Jewish holiday. (laughs) 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 That's awesome. So explain to us how you came about with uh, then capturing all these stories into a book. How did that thought come about? I started college at the age of 40. Yeah. It was my first year as a student. It was the professor's first year as a professor. And we got together 30 years later Mm. because he was my first English teacher. And I went home. I had to do an essay. I said, I haven't been in school. I told my wife, Jitty, please write this essay for me. I don't know. I'm going to start doing your homework. I said, no, just this first class. So we go. And here, it was strictly prison officers going to college. They paid for us. We didn't have to pay a nickel. Yeah. I got the four-year degree from the state. So I met there with all the other prison officers. He passed out all the essays, I said. He was 14 years younger than me. I said, where's my paper? He said, uh, Mr. Kamisha, you didn't write it. We're over the prison range. <laughs> he said, I said, what do you mean? I wrote it. He said, yeah, what is a bodice? I didn't know what the heck a bodice was. I always said a blouse. There is a bodice. I told my wife, why'd you write bodice? You got me busted. <laughs> so, so, so he said, I'll tell you what. You stay with me. You got EG-101. Take EG-102 with me. I'll, I'll grade you on your improvement. Okay. He said, I know a good biology teacher, Joe Butchko. You'll love him. He used to be an iron worker, and he's as crude as you are. Yeah. You'll love him. I said, okay. So then I go with him for an elevator. I matriculated. Ten years later, I got the degree, you know. And that's how I came. And then 30 years later, that same professor, Jim Franklin, we got together and wrote the book. Nice. Wow. That's, that's awesome. amazing. So how did the, explain the process a little bit. So how, how, what was the creative process? Was it more of just a took you know, three chronological? Years. Okay. Took three years. He used to come and tape me. And I was, and what he did was he checked everything. So that I knew we we're going to, like I sold it to 2,000 prison officers. Yeah. <laughs> so therefore, if I lied or any baloney in there, they wouldn't buy it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I made sure that every, he said, okay, I'm checking everything. So, you know Reuben Hurricane Carter, the fighter? Yes. Reuben Carter, right? Yes. Okay. Now, Reuben, we write an article in there. I said, you know what? They never had a motive. I said, oh, yeah, they had a motive. He called himself the Black Avenger. He said, Harry, I went through, I don't know how many papers, how many books. <laughs> I never said, I said, I'm telling you. He called himself the Black He was in a New York paper, a little clipping, where he was the Black Avenger. Wow. And that was, but he used to call me from Canada and all, because him and Teddy Roberts were buddies. Teddy was the inmate that I helped. When I had lockup, Teddy Roberts said, he said, you know what, when I get out of here, I'm done. I don't, I, I don't ever want to come back to jail. I said, if you're for real, I'll help you. So what happened was, fortunate enough, when he got short, he came to work in a work release house. And when he came over there, they put me in charge. 
Because for three years, I couldn't work inside the wall after the Muslim riot. They said, no, no, we don't want you inside, Harry. We don't know where the hit came from. Yeah. And you're the only witness. So while I was out there, I helped him get 40 college credits. I helped him with his GED. And he became an instructor in masonry at Yardville Institution. Well, they call it, they took the name away. All jails took the name away. It's Garden State now. But he was there, and they made him Teacher of the Year. Wow. wow. And, and there's an article on him in there. That's amazing. <laughs> That's cool. So, so when you look back uh, at all those years, is there something that you would have done differently with the book? Or did you capture, did you feel that you captured I, everything? I, in the book? I think he should have waited till we got a publisher. Yeah. And, and then when I look at the book, the people I talk to, the print is small. Okay. Little things like that. Okay. But as far as the context, he caught me pretty good. Nice. You know, the type of person I am. Because, yeah. you know, he was this classy school teacher, crude prison guard. But we made it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. So explain to us your upbringing um, and, 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 you know, kind of how, well, how that helped you in, well, in, in your career. I, how it helped me is... I lived in the Donnelly Homes in Trenton in the projects. Mm. Let me tell you something. If they do anything, do away with projects. They get all us poor kids and put us in this one area. And they said, okay, we're going to make boys, men out of you. You got to join the Boy Scouts. Back then it was like, don't forget, this is in the 30s. Right, 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 right. So he said, you got it. So I, we joined the Boy Scouts. We go to Camp Picquara which is a big thing for the Boy Scouts. And they got all the food in the truck, and we steal the peanuts, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so then, to be a tenderfoot, you know anything about the Boy Scouts? Uh, not much, no. Uh, in order to be a tenderfoot, you got to learn to tie nine different knots. Okay. The square knot, the bowman's knot, you got to learn. Here's the, the guy had no smarts. We're, my father was making $14 a week, Go home, tell your father or your mother, you buy a rope and you got to learn to tie these knots. Coming home from the Boy Scout meeting, we went through the apartments and cut the clotheslines. Yeah. <laughs> you, you figure that's what you're supposed to do. <laughs> that's creative. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. So, so explain where... where so, you, you know, I told you, like, and it's terrible projects. I remember, you know... I went there, you better learn to protect yourself. Like mm. I'm 80 pounds, first thing, small target, tuck your chin and shoot out the left. You know, here I am, 82, I can still shoot a left. <laughs> <laughs> 92. 92, don't take that, it's 10 years, it's a whole decade. Um, so explain a little bit about, you know, growing up, uh, you know, in that era. What were the times like? I know, um, you know, I guess we were just hitting right over the Great Depression well, and that stuff. So how was it? You talk you know, about racism. Yeah. If you lived, if you were black and lived across from the school, you couldn't go there. You had to go to junior five. Wow. That's how bad it was. And we were segregated. There was no, when I went in the army in uh, 1951, right? Yeah, 1951. We were segregated. 
Hmm. It was bad, bad back then, you know? Another thing, here's the worst thing in the world. Privatizing prisons. Yeah. Do you know about privatizing prisons? Three judges in Pennsylvania, they were sending kids to prison for practically nothing, and he got a kickback on every kid. Oh, wow. Yeah. So the kid never got a chance to get his parole because they'd lose money. Wow. One of the judges, they gave 28 years. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. So growing up, did you, have, did you have any role models or did you want to you know, uh, look up to anybody uh, in particular that you wanted to be or emulate or you just kind of went around and did your own thing? No, not necessarily. I mean, yeah. it was a survival thing. It yeah. sounds terrible, but, yeah. but mm-hmm. that's what it was, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. There was no, like, you know, it was survival. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's why I say I'm, I'm against him completely, you know? Yeah. Privatized. That's horrible. Mm. So w- w- in your mind, what's, what's different? Uh, what's the biggest difference between, you know, raising a family when you raise your family to, you know, what you see going on now? Well, I, I was very, very fortunate in, in that... You luck out in life. Yeah. I was very fortunate to raise three children, right? Daryl, that's here, he retired 49 years old. Yeah. My youngest son is a lawyer, corporate lawyer for Merck, and my daughter ended up a speech pathologist, and we lived on Center Street in Trenton, New Jersey. Yeah. One of Daryl's best friends was killed. One of Vance's best friend was stabbed to death by the skating arena trying to mug a, a young black kid, and the kid stabbed him to death. Hmm. So raising him in that neighborhood and that they turned out as good as they did was remarkable. Mm-hmm. And I owe it all to them. I mean, they, they were good kids, that's all. And I'm not here to brag about my children, but yeah. that's where it's at, mm-hmm. yeah. you know? And like they say, the ghetto and projects. A kid comes home, he doesn't have a father, his mother's a junkie, there's not a book in the house, what chance does he stand? Mm-hmm. None. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What, um, how, you, you mentioned, uh, your book mentioned something about, um, I forget what the exact story was, but you helped stopping felons escape from prison. Can you explain that a little bit? Oh, okay. I, I, I was fortunate at that time. I was a teacher then, and I had orientation, and we had a room with the tile ceiling. So I'm, I'm teaching, and as soon as I'm done, parole comes and talk to them, uh, classification comes and talk to them, correction comes, and the hospital comes. The hospital wasn't coming. Hey man, I want to. Once I'm done with that, my day's done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I run to the hospital. Hey, send somebody down. But I looked up, and the ceiling tile, a tile, and the ceiling was yeah. crooked. Yeah. I went. I went. I came back. The tile was straight. Hmm. I said, "Ooh, what's this?" So I called Internal Affairs. I said, "Let me tell you something." I just was left, I came back, there was a tile in the ceiling that's a little crooked, 
I, I want you to please, please come down and, and look. Yeah. So he come down. I said, look, don't say I'm a senile old man because I was a teacher that I'm, and I don't know when he went up and he said, oh man, they got adios written on the wall. <laughs> there was one more brick to go through because they had gone up, they had stole the fan. They were using bleach. They said that weakens the mortar, if that's true, I don't know. Wow. But they have bleach up there wow. and they were ready to go. No way. And yeah. so, you, uh, so you calling internal affairs was able to stop that from happening. Yes. Wow. 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 All right. So, um, prison riots. How, how does how does from you know your perspective inside? Of, how do you guys even protect from that happening or stopping that from even happening? Let alone they did happen. Usually, it is very difficult and. and when they riot, it, it's usually over the food or early parole or something. But 1957, they had a riot at Rawway. We went up there, and Rawway then maybe had 1,200 men. Hmm. And you hear with the cups against the bars, it was like deafening. You can't imagine the sound, right? So Dr. McCorkle came up. He had been in charge of prison camps in Japan. Dr. McCorkle came up, he said, okay, bring office, one officer from each wing, because then we got them all locked in. Bring one, he came in, he said, okay, I want seven men troublemakers from your wing, send them down, one at a time. Because they, they tore up the mess hall, the stainless steel and everything. Wow. But in another riot, we went to uh, Albert Wagner. They changed it from Bordentown to Albert Wagner, named it after the warden. So these were kids in Bordentown. Yeah. But they had taken over the gym, and they had, you know, bats and all from when they put it. And we go up there, we just got the 18-inch nightstick with the, with the rod down the middle. Yeah. And, and Albert Wagner said, put him in a bucket, put him in a bucket. So we were with Captain Abbott. Captain Abbott said, we're not putting anything in a bucket or we're going back to Trenton. Yeah. I'll tell you right now. Yeah. So they told him, hey, the goon squad's from Trenton is here. Yeah. So they, they came out. <laughs> <laughs> so did you have uh, uh, like a partner or anything you kind of did a lot of the stuff with in as a, a fellow correctional officer or is kind of you kind of? No, because, you, you know, in 50 years, I worked about every place yeah. from the mail room to, you know, like I worked in the mail room from 53 to 60, about seven years. And. I would, we would sort the packages. Back then, in the 50s, an inmate was allowed one visit a month from his wife, a six, a, a one, one hour visit. She got to see him six hours a year. Wow. wow. That's how it was back then. Hmm. Wow. So, so it was never that great. But anyway, in the mailroom, there was an inmate that had killed an officer. He killed Vic Vitorito in 1951. So he killed Vic Vitorito 
and we put him in that one left lockup that I had for five years. He did 14 years in there. Wow. But George Gorski, while he was there, his mother used to send a food package in, right? So she would send him Marcino cherries. We found out he was getting drunk all the time. Wow. <laughs> she was putting vodka in there. Wow. And we thought it was like the juice for Marcino cherries. I got a, I got a, there's a picture in the book of the visiting room. Yeah. Now, a visiting room, they talked over a phone. There was no contact business back mm -hmm. then. Talked over a phone. And the wire that went through, there was a little grommet. So, I'm, there's the center is like that glass right there. Yeah. And they're all in back of the center. Yeah. And I'm on, they called it the star. I'm in front of that center. And the jail is like a wheel with all spokes going out. Yeah. And I'm right here in the center. So an inmate's going to go in a room. I frisk him. He comes out. He's half drunk. <laughs> Lieutenant says, hey, not so. Bring him back here. He said, did you frisk him? I says, hey. He says, how? He's half drunk. Here, later, he would never tell me how. Later, when he's ready to get paroled, his wife had a straw removed the rubber grommet, pushed it through, and got him drunk from the bottle. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so what was the craziest thing you've seen that tried to get passed through the mail? The, the woman that used to send in the spaghetti yeah. with a little rubber bloom with the dope, with the junk in oh, there. Wow. You know, with wow. The, wow. You know, mixed in with the red spaghetti. <laughs> <laughs> And they get all kinds of crazy letters, all kinds uh, of... A lot of them, you know what? It was funny, like we used to read their mail back then. They don't anymore. They just open it, make sure there's nothing in it. Yeah. Because they didn't write through it. A lot of them inmates used to get money from stupid girls. Like, <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah. It was unbelievable. <laughs> <I> was, <laughs> we, had, we had an inmate named Gypsy. Yeah. Gypsy Cardinelli. He had a great memory. Yeah. He really did. One of them people, you ever know some people got a great, this guy was really cool. I bet a guy today, Harry Camisa. <laughs> anyway, what he did was he told this young cop, you know what? I've been down for 10 years. He said, look, I, I don't want to touch it. Just let me see what a $10 bill, $10 bill looks like. So the cop shows him. Oh, man, look at that. Yeah. Uh, uh. The cop leaves. I want to see the sergeant. Cause the sergeant. That guy just tried to just I took a ten bucks off of me. He bribed me. Wanted me to do something. Yeah. So what do you mean he gave me? I'll give you the serial number on it. Yeah. And he gave most of the number. Wow. No way. Wow. <laughs> wow. Unbelievable. Oh my gosh. Um <laughs> is there is there anything that you cover in the book um that we didn't touch on just yet? I, offhand, I'm trying to, there was so much in there. What about, so you also brought over a couple things from the inmates. One of them was a drawing that they did with oh. just a, a big yeah. pen, I'm assuming. With a, this is with a ballpoint pen. With a ballpoint oh, wow. pen. Is that unbelievable? You know. And then they called the prison and they wanted somebody to pose the electric chair that had witnessed executions. So the North Star Ledger wrote that article. 
where I uh, <laughs> titled the, the the penalty for murder, and it's a picture of Harry sitting in the electric chair um, because obviously, as he mentioned earlier, he's witnessed thirteen of them. But to go back on the the image on the uh, of the the inmate drew with a ballpoint pen, it's of a ram, and it is if you held it back, it's, it looks like it's from nineteen ninety. If you held it back far enough, it almost looks like a picture was taken in black and white. That's how detailed yeah. uh, this image is. Crazy. Um, and then you brought another article called The Execution. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Well, when I mentioned before about Joe Ernest, the young men, inmate getting uh, electrocuted in, in like two years, like today they were in death row for 10 years, 12 years. Oh, the right. first execution I saw, he was only eight months later we electrocuted him. Wow. But I also, so the article was the inmate that locked next door to him and told the whole plan of how he uh, actually, how he reacted before he went, when he was in his cell, the last meal, where he threw the ice cream against the wall and so forth. So it's a pretty good article, and he's a good writer. And another one is the Trentonian was, I know he changed his name to uh, Van Scooten. Van Scooten escaped the prison in 1961, hmm. he went in the big yard and they got like all this big brick. So he prepped, he lifted and he weight, weight lifted all every day. And what he did was where they have all the heating pipes for the institution, he went in the yard and he went down under there. What always amazed me about that was that none of the inmates squealed on him. Because mm. there's no honor amongst thieves. But anyway, he had bed sheets all tied around his waist with a loose shirt. And he had all night to go. We're coming to work the next morning. Here's a sheet over the wall. They never caught him. Wow. Never caught him. Wow. Now he passed away. Before he died, he told his son, you know what? I escaped from the prison. And he took the name Hudson because he swam across the Hudson River. Wow. That's where he got the name Hudson. Wow. So his son came and was talking to me. And what they did was the Trentonian wrote a big article on it, how he had escaped. He built a beautiful dummy. Oh, <laughs> because they said, okay, somebody's gone. The sheet's over the wall. Seven up, count clear. Two right, count clear. One left, count clear. Have them stand up and hold the bars. So the cop went, he said, okay, man. He hit it and the head rolled. No way. He had like paper mache. Yeah. Gone into the barber shop, got all hair, glued it on, put on the earphones. They had earphones to listen to the radio. Yeah. And laid on his side. Perfect <laughs> dummy. Wow. And they never caught him. Wow. So he went and, and he ended up working, doing a good job. He married an Indian girl up there, and his son came down to see me. Wow. And when he came down, the Trentonian did a big article on him. Wow, wow. that awesome. is amazing. Um, That's crazy. With the executions, to kind of round back with that, do, do you have any, you know, does any of that stuff ever keep you up at night? You know, there's a lot of people who see things and they have, you know, PTSD uh, from being, you know, post-traumatic no. stress. 
disorder. Please, I, I don't want to sound like macho. I'm not macho. I'm as big as a bar soap. Yeah. I couldn't smash a grape. Yeah. So I'm not trying <laughs> to impress you with that. Sure. But I really, I mean, you could ask me. I never, like, if you were in fear, you, you couldn't last. Yeah. Um, yeah, so there's a there's a uh, there's an article here with Harry. The, it looks like it was back uh, about 11 years ago, uh, 2009. Look who's talking, Harry Camisa and Nathaniel Roberts. Uh, this was the gentleman that you help um, while he was in prison. Well, he got out of prison. You helped, yes. right? Okay. Helped him get 40 college. Then you had the execution, and the other one was an interesting picture that you showed me. Um, you said these were. Um, it looks like Nin it's a photo of reporters and witnesses entering the New Jersey State Prison for the execution of Bruno Humptman yep. uh, for killing a baby of Charles Lindbergh. Mm. It's 1936. Okay. Um, that's something. Uh, you, you brought you brought the book. You brought... For the folks that... that, that uh, uh, who, who are listening now and they want to get a hold of your book, where, where can they go and buy that? I guess Amazon. Yes. Professor said, or you know, I said, they're not going to come to my house. I <laughs> but Amazon, I think it's got it on because oh. he handles all that. The professor, I don't. I, sure. I just, and what's the professor's name? Jim Franklin. Gotcha. Jim Franklin. Yeah. So, so the book, the premise of the book is 50 years worth of experiences. Obviously, it's called Inside Out. Uh, for. See? There I didn't is. always look like Jimmy Durante. <laughs> <laughs> There's a uh, when I was a young cop. Wow, that was a uh, the the book has a has a lot of photos, right? There's a lot of photos yeah. in the book. Yeah, uh, to kind of really truly give you an inside scoop, as you mentioned. There's pictures of the the waiting area, the cells, uh, just to kind of get the full grasp of what it was like during that time. Yes, there's a picture of the electric chair. So, so, all in all, you can get this book in uh, on Amazon titled "Inside Out." Again, Harry Camisa. What is your recommendation for someone who uh, either wants to make a you know uh, a difference with prison reform, or who wants to become a corrections officer, or or have some level of um, you know involvement with prisons? Well, I think it's tougher now to be a prison officer. Then when I was there, because it, it, I don't believe in capital punishment. I really don't. Yeah. And I never had to, once in 50 years, I had to hurt an inmate that had threatened my family outside mm. of that. But to work in the jail today with the young kids, the gangs, they have no value on life. Mm. Yeah. But I, I try to be, it sounds corny. I try to be fair and, and yet, you know, yeah. not bring in anything to gain, gain friends that way because I tell young cops, you come in here, like today, they get $1,000 for a cell phone. Yeah. You know, one that you could toss. Yeah. Cigarettes, 50 bucks a pack. Wow. Because you're not allowed to smoke yeah. in jail. And I said, you may get away with it for five years. You may get away with it for six years. But guess what? It's going to get you. Yeah. And I also spoke before the New Jersey legislature. I got an article on that. Yeah. Where I spoke before them and tell them, legalize drugs. What do you mean? You worked in a prison? That's right. I worked in Yardville with all young kids. 
was there a thousand, eight hundred for drugs? I was there fifty years, two drug lures, and one of them got all the publicity. They they played the gangster. Yeah. I said, and but these kids on a five and ten dollar bag. Yeah. You're locking them up. All right. So there. So you have any parting words that you would like to say? You know what? It, I would like to been able to take my children through to prison. You know, Daryl worked there part-time, but yeah. at nights and all. But I would like to, just to show them, you are locked in a six by eight. There's a picture of it in the book. Yeah. You are locked in a six by eight, 22 hours a day. If the weather's bad, you're locked 24. Wow. So wow. I'm telling you, Kids that go to these juvenile joints thinks it's a picnic. And don't forget, 80% of them end up in prison. Mm -hmm. Juvenile systems do not work. They don't work. Yeah. All they do is teach them how to steal better. Hmm. <laughs> wow. All right. So, well, there you have it. Uh, we like to wrap things up with quotes. And the first one is by Michelle Ruiz. If people are doubting how far you can go, go so far you can't hear them anymore. Second one by Socrates. Smart people learn from everything and everyone. Average people from their experiences. Stupid people already have all the answers. <laughs> Inside Out. In this episode, we have special guest Harry Camisa. We cover topics that range from law enforcement, the prison system, death row, prison riots, and much more. We wrap the episode up with quotes from Michelle Ruiz and Socrates. Awesome. Guys, thanks again for joining us. The Rotated Views podcast was produced for self-development purposes. Huge shout out to our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by the Blessed Lifestyle brand. That is BL3SSED.com. Also sponsored by The Motivation Files Unleashed. This motivational mixtape will be your fuel for success. Available on all platforms. Guys, don't forget to visit the website, JimmyLeeVelez.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Rotated Views. If you have any inquiries or questions, email us at info at JimmyLeeVelez.com. On behalf of myself and the rest of the crew, we wish you massive success. Stay blessed. <laughs>